Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Blessing, and I appreciate that. Uh, Take your Bibles this morning. Go to Revelation chapter number 4. As I look around this morning, it's great to see folks visiting with us. Teresa, good to see you back from North Carolina. Um, I just would like to say I watched the entire service. It was well done, and uh, your brother um, certainly was honored in a great way. So well done, and it's good to see you back. Jerry Gross, one of our church members, passed away, was buried back. Many of us watched that funeral service there from Burlington, North Carolina. And, um, and certainly, he's in a better place and no longer suffering from cancer, but Teresa, we know that he was very close to you, and so thank you for being here this morning. And uh, I know that um, <clears throat> some of you have family visiting, and I, I, I'm thankful that they're here today. Daniel, would you please stand for just a moment? Uh, Daniel, uh, he, we recognized him last week. Uh, he just likes to be in the news here. He came back on a long-term deployment serving our country. And then he goes and does something pretty special yesterday. What did you do, sir? And she said, all right, congratulations to you. Congratulations, guys. We certainly are excited for you. And, uh, and uh, we look forward to, to hearing more of those plans here in the future. And, and uh, it's great. Uh, we're so thankful for the Hatfields and how involved they are. And, and Chloe Hatfield's parents, BIMI missionaries, are here visiting today. It's great to have the Linquist family here. Thank you so much. Uh, all the way from Africa. So we're thankful they're here. Now, how many of you can give me a witness here and agree with this statement? Palo Verde trees have no use. I am so tired of the Palo Verde tree. It has torn me up. I feel like I'm chewing my air as I breathe. And and, um, I know I'm allergic to cats, but bless God, I'm also allergic to Palo Verde trees. And so bear with me today. I have prayed and prayed that God will allow my voice to be strong enough to get through this morning. Uh, It has been a miserable week. My wife was so thankful. Monday and Tuesday, I couldn't speak at all. I had no voice and went to the doctor. The doctor says, you need to rest your voice for 72 hours. And she said, hallelujah. So anyway, um, um, it's been a long week with my voice. But God has helped me. Today is the strongest my voice has been since last Sunday morning. And so uh, let's let's jump right into our message. And uh, I want to be a help to our church And if you're visiting with us, we're preaching a series of messages on prophecy. Many of us are intrigued by prophecy. We'll read the book of Revelation and read to to check it off on that we've read through the Bible. And we'll read chapter 11 or 12 or 13 of the book of Revelation. And we'll say, what in the world did I just read? Seven this, three of this, four of that, 24 of that. All the different things that are mentioned. And we'll say, what did I read? Well... We're going to try to explain a lot of that in the coming weeks. Men, if you'll come forward, and uh, thank you so much for helping us week by week. We do have an outline. I hope this outline will be helpful to you and that you'll actually go back and review the notes that you take. And it could be a help. Maybe someone else, even in your life, will talk about issues of prophecy. Uh, Our eyes are ever on the Middle East and that vast trouble that continues to boil over. Uh, Even here in May of 2022, 
But all of that which is taking place today pertains to the second coming uh, that's referred to of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone has aptly written this. Sorrow looks back. Worry looks all around. But hope looks up. The second coming of Jesus Christ, my friend, is that blessed hope. And Jesus is coming back. Now, just a little eschatology lesson. Jesus is coming back twice. And so, oftentimes we confuse that. We'll talk about the second coming of Christ, and and we'll have to figure out which second coming we're talking about. Jesus comes back twice. He comes back once in the air, and then he comes back to this earth. And so, hopefully, today we can help clarify this topic called the rapture. So I've entitled this morning's message, It Is Coming. It is coming. Jesus Christ is coming again. And all of those who have been saved, and all of those who who, uh, love the Lord Jesus Christ, all of those whose lives have been miraculously transformed, they're going to meet the Lord in the air. And we'll have a immediately a glorified body and and we'll uh, we'll be impervious to gravity and we'll be able to be caught up to meet the Lord right through the ceiling. It's going to be amazing. I wish it would happen even now. Frankly speaking, I'm thankful for my eight grandchildren, but I wish they could be spared from the sorrow that they're going to face in the coming years of their life. The Bible calls that rapture the blessed hope. And it's called the rapture of the church. And if you'll look with me in Revelation chapter number 4, allow me to help you understand a little bit about the book of Revelation. Um, I want to tell you that we are on a collision course with destiny. And you cannot afford to be ignorant to this. And we're going to read one verse to begin with. Verse number 1 of Revelation chapter number 4. The writer, do you know who the writer of the book of Revelation was? John. The writer John on the Isle of Patmos, he writes and he says this. Please understand the language in which he's using. After this, now what is after this? He's just written what? Revelation 1, 2, and 3. So there is a big break between chapter 3 and chapter 4. It almost could be two different books of the Bible. However, He says, after this, after the conclusion of Revelation chapter number 3, after the conclusion of a period of time, a dispensation of time called the church age, remember, that's what chapter 2 and chapter 3 is all about, is describing the different churches. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee these things which must be hereafter. Very important. So from this point on, verse number 1 in the book of Revelation, we enter into that subject called eschatology that deals with the future, or we better call it prophecy. And one of the first events that takes place is called the rapture of the church, the rapture of the saints. Now, Before we all write a bunch of things in our notes, I'd like to ask all of us to look up this way for just a moment. And as you're looking up this way, let me help you understand a little bit about prophecy. When I I study prophecy, and it's an intriguing topic, when I study prophecy, 
there are rules of interpretation. One of those rules of interpretation when it comes specifically to prophecy is that you must be very careful of taking events that are happening today in May of 2022 and applying them and making an assumption that that is exactly what the book of Revelation is talking about. We take a general overview of what we absolutely know to be true and therefore we trust and we hold on to that and we look for that to happen. Now, all everyone's looking this way. Let me help you here. Imagine you lived 400 years before the birth of Christ. Are you with me? You're dressed completely different. You're living completely different. There is no such thing as the internet, and there is no such thing as a cell phone. There's no such thing as electricity. Everything is by word of what? Everything is by word of mouth. You're living 400 years before Jesus Christ is born. I ask you this question. Had the Word of God been written yet? Only portions of the Word of God. They did not have the Word of God. In fact, the prophets were still living. And so uh, they were speaking. They were foretelling. They were telling what was about to happen. Can you imagine the faith that it took to believe that some point in time in the future, some boy is going to be, or baby is going to be born of a virgin, grow up as a boy without sin, and he's going to be called the Messiah, and he's going to save his people. They only heard about this by word of mouth. Can you imagine the faith that it took to believe that? It happens. We, I would say in a congregation this side, 99% of us, we have no problem believing that Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago. You know why? It's now recorded history. We know that he, a man named Jesus, lived on this earth. We know that a man named Jesus died on the cross. We know that a man, Jesus, he, he raised from the dead after being in that tomb for three days. And he was, he, he was seen by hundreds of people after he died. It's recorded history. It takes how much faith to believe that story? Zero. None. It's already happened. Now, we have the written word of God, not somebody saying it, and it's it's being exchanged from mouth to mouth. We have the actual written word of God. Here in the written word of God, it tells us about a mystery. And I want to share with you how this mystery works, and again, as if I were living 400 years before Christ was born, I'm now living after Christ is born, and the Bible and prophets say something else is about to happen. So we are now a people that have to live by faith, trusting that this is going to happen in the future, just like the people did 400 years before Christ was born. You with me? So what we're talking about is in the written word of God, But I must, by faith, believe that this will happen in the future because it is yet to happen. And the rapture is one of those areas where there's disagreement. Because there are people who say that I do not believe the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation. There are some people who say, well, I believe the rapture is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation. And there are some others who would be heretical in their view that would say, I don't believe there's a rapture at all. I'm going to show you from Scripture today 
an important doctrinal truth that I hopefully, hopefully, well, if you have any doubts, will cause scales to come off of your eyes, your heart to become a believing heart, and may alter the way that we live. And in order to do that, I would like to share as briefly as possible four thoughts with you about the rapture. We could actually spend a series on this because my message kept getting longer and longer the more you study this topic. So we're going to condense that, trying as best as we can to navigate the truths of the book of Revelation and trying to keep each topic to one, uh, one topic per week so that way we can eventually finish this book. But here we go. I'd like to address four thoughts about the rapture that I find from the Apostle John. Thought number one, speaking of the future, and let's look at the rapture proclaimed. The rapture proclaimed. Now, we are addressing this morning is the proclamation of a sacred mystery of the rapture. The Bible calls it the rapture of the church. Uh, it is a mystery. Now, a mystery is not a mystery story like you would see in some novel, uh, but a mystery in the Bible is a truth that no one could ever figure out on, uh, uh, on his, his or her own accord. A mystery in our Bible is a truth that's been revealed by divine revelation that God only unlocks its secrets in that book that is in your lap called the Bible. Now look back with me at Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1 as we describe an event known as the rapture. John He hears a voice like a trumpet. And this voice says, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And John is caught up through that door in the heavens. And he finds himself transported from earth into heaven. That, my friend, is John experiencing the rapture so that he can write to us about it. Please feel free to cross-reference this with corresponding New Testament verses found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul said this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or them who are dead. Now the church at Thessalonica was ignorant of what happened to the dead who died before Jesus came. And they were mourning and they were saying, We're waiting on Jesus. We're still waiting on Jesus. And by the way, in that day, they were waiting on Jesus, and rightly they should have been, but some of the brothers and sisters of Christ uh, had died, and they were wondering, have we missed the coming of the Lord? What has happened? Paul says this, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Sooner or later, most of us will go to a graveside, and we'll say goodbye to that one who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. But may I encourage you this morning, you do not need to fear or worry if they know Jesus Christ. Thank God we have hope. Amen? Don't sorrow as those which have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, and we do, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now wait a minute. They're asleep in Jesus, and God's going to bring them with him. Why is that? Why? The body is in the grave sleeping. The spirit is currently with the Lord. So when Jesus comes again, the body comes up and the spirit comes down. I don't think that's too hard to understand, but it takes faith to believe that's going to happen. 
And so he says this, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Verse 15, he says, for this we say unto you by the word unto the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. This tells us that Paul thought it was highly likely, probable, certainly feasible, that Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime, only a few years removed. Paul believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He uses the personal pronoun we in the plural sense. He says this, we which are alive and remain. Now here's the promise of the rapture. Listen to it in verse 16. I love the Bible. For the Lord himself, not some event in history, not some catastrophe, but the Bible says the Lord himself, this same Jesus, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And who shall rise first? The dead. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. My friend, we have no need to worry about those who have died and gone on before us who know Jesus Christ. If you have a loved one who's in the grave, just give comfort and say, when Jesus comes, we're going to have a heavenly homecoming. My friend, in Fairmont, West Virginia, in an old country, old country cemetery, there's going to be a trumpet that blows, and at the moment that trumpet blows, that ground's going to explode. And out of that ground, the, 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 that, that cement, uh, whatever, covering on top of that, uh, that vault is going to come out. The, the, the casket's going to open, and Dave Armstrong's going to pop up. I hope he has good GPS, and Tucson and Fairmont can meet. And I, and, and I can see my dad. My grandfather in another country uh, 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 graveside, he's going to pop out there too. And I, I'm going to see my grandfather, who didn't get saved until he was the age of 88, got baptized at the age of 90. I can't wait to see my grandfather again. I believe that story. You know why I believe it? It's in the written word of God. And so one day we're going to have a heavenly coming. Now here's what we're waiting on. We're waiting on God the Father to say, Son, go get him. That's what we're waiting on. Son, go get him. Go get him. And when he descends from heaven, there's going to be a shout that's going to come from his lips. And just like those two beautiful trumpets played this morning, there's going to be a trumpet sound that pierces the eastern sky. And we're all who know Jesus going to be taken from this world. I can't wait for that to happen. I, I, please don't let me die. I want to experience that. I want to experience time travel, space travel. I want to be able to do that. Make no mistakes. From the depths of the sea... They'll come. For the blinding and heated desert sands, they will come. From the battlefields, all throughout all these battlefields of those men and women who served in the military and knew Jesus Christ, they'll come. From country graveyards, they'll come. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now the word that's used uh, to be caught up is the word, a Latin word, rapto, that we get our word rapture from. And it means this. The word rapture means to seize, to catch away, to be caught up. The Greek word harpazo means the same thing. Now again, I call it a mystery. 
Here's another verse I want you to perhaps write down in your notes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51, the apostle Paul was writing and he says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed again. Paul uses that word mystery. The word mystery means something that has been hidden but is now revealed. Please understand this. Did people who lived 400 years before Christ was born, did they need to know about the rapture? I submit to you, they didn't because there was no such thing as a church. What they needed to know, that Jesus, their Messiah, was coming. And if they would have believed in Jesus, the world would have been a different place. But because they rejected Jesus as their Messiah, he did die. He did shed his blood. And salvation is afforded to us. And so I say today that this mystery was not necessary to be explained in the Old Testament. And therefore, when you read the Bible, the rapture is never, ever mentioned or even inferred. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, they saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming in power and glory. They saw Messiah ruling and reigning, but they did not see the church age. They did not see the church. And they didn't, therefore did not see the rapture. And the only way people today know about the rapture is not by studying what the Old Testament prophets had to say, but by studying what the New Testament apostles wrote. And this is revealed to the Apostle Paul, and he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. And he explained the church age, and that's what we see right here, the things which are. That's the interval of time uh, when Jesus came the first time and when he's coming back to this earth the second time. Now let me say there's not just a general resurrection. We're going to talk about it in, 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 in maybe a few moments or next week, but this morning you might rightfully ask, Brent, Listen, do you, college-educated, seminary-trained, many years in ministry, do you really believe in a rapture? Yes, I do. I believe with every fiber of my being. And someone says, well, doesn't that smack into some type of supernaturalism? Yes, indeed it does. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's explaining it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? I said 99%. In this congregation right now, you believe that. Now, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, why would it be difficult for you to believe in the rapture? You see, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So in describing this event, what do I believe about the rapture? Well, number one, I believe in the rapture because of the gospel message. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the rapture is linked to redemption. God is not finished. And if you have Calvary without the rapture, it's like having the east without the west. It's like going up without going down. It's like having night without day. You cannot have the incarnation without the coronation. 
You see, I believe it because Jesus had already gone through the grave and he came out the other side. I believe it, friend, because of the gospel. And I believe it because the word of God says it. I'm not here to explain it away. Paul said in verse number 15, For this we say unto you by the word of God, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means proceed, we shall not precede them which are asleep or dead. Paul had divine revelation. We have a lot of soothsayers today and prognosticators and we have a lot of astrologers and we have a lot of people who are so-called prophets, but they're not prophetic. They're, I would say they're pathetic trying to tell us and sell us something that's not going to happen. You could take all the wisdom of the Pentagon put together, all the lawmakers on Capitol Hill, all those who sit in executive offices, and all those who run the banking industry, and don't have one shred of iota of a scintilla of what's going to happen apart from the Word of God. That's it. That's it. This is why I say unto you, we must trust and believe in the Word of God, not man's wisdom. So it is proclaimed that there's going to be an event called a rapture. Very quickly this morning as we continue to move on, there's a future event number two, and I call it the rapture's participants. The rapture's participants. Not everybody is going to go up. Oh, my dear friend, if you're here this morning without Jesus, please listen. Not everyone is going to go up. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 4 in our passage of Scripture this morning, Around about the throne were 24 and 20 seats. Actually, that word there is used for thrones, four and 20 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw four and 20 elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their head crowns of gold. Now, who are these? Here's a first part of Revelation that you say, I just don't understand what he's talking about. These are the dead in Christ and those who have already been transformed. Paul sees them as 24 elders. And, and, and now why are they called 24 elders? And you might remember that 12 is God's governmental number. I think it's fascinating that Dwight chose to talk about numbers today. We have not spoken about that. Now I'm going to talk about numbers. Four is the earth, number of earth and three is the divine number. And three times four is 12. But here... I, I, I'm confused. He, he doesn't use the number 12. He uses the number 24. What in the world are they talking about? These are not angels. Some people thought that, and we even taught, read, a, read a couple of commentators, uh, inferred that these were angels. They are not angels. Let me tell you why. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, it says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. So you got angels and beasts and elders. And so we know these, these elders are, uh, are not the beast and, uh, or, or, or the living creatures, and they're not angels. And so you say, maybe they're just some kind of symbol. There's a lot of symbolism in the Bible. No, they're not. They're not symbols it's because the Bible says they talk to one another in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, uh, the lion, the tribe of Judah. They are not inanimate symbols. They talk, and they're not angels. So they are described as elders. Well, what in the world's an elder? Elders are representatives of God's people. I have the privilege to serve as an elder. There's three different terms used for pastor. I have the privilege to serve as an elder, a representative of Tucson Baptist Church. And one day I'll give an account for this church before God Almighty. The Bible says, however, there are 24. 
Why 24? Well, again, 12 is God's governmental number. Four, the earth number. Three, the divine number, the rule of God on earth. And yet, now we see this scene in heaven that's been taken um, uh, from earth into heaven. Now, if you'll study the book of Revelation, we're going to do that in the coming months. I hope that you'll stay with us. You'll find out that there's 12 gates in the city, the new city, the new Jerusalem. The place which we called heaven or glory. And each of those 12 gates have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 patriarchs, the 12 father, uh, the 12 father rulers. You also notice that the foundation of the city have the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 12 patriarchs and 12 apostles. Put them together and they make 24. The 12 patriarchs, all of those Old Testament saints. The 12 uh, the, the 12 who are apostles. We're going to meet Abraham and Jacob and Isaac in the kingdom. And we're going to meet those 12 apostles. And we're going to be able to talk with Peter and John and Paul and James. And all of these in their glory. Put them together. They're elders and they represent all of us. Friend, these 24 elders represent you. You're going to be there. And you're going to thank God in that glory. Now, notice how they're described. They're clothed in white. You see, uh, they're, they're, the Bible says they're clothed in white raiment in chapter 4 of Revelation and verse number 4. What in the world does white raiment represent? Well, white raiment represents the righteousness that we have in Christ and because of Christ. Now, the best interpretation of many of these symbols is in the Bible itself. Revelation 19 and verse 8 says this, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints so we know right away that these are dressed in who are dressed in white are saints these elders are saints and they have crowns upon their head isn't that what it says there in verse 4 they have on their heads crowns of gold or diadems well how do you get the crowns the bible also teaches us that we get our crowns at a place called the judgment seat of christ we're going to have a whole entire message on the judgment seat of Christ. I trust you'll make every effort to be here for that one. And then you, at that judgment seat of Christ, the things that we've done for Christ will be tried so as by far, and we will be rewarded for those things that we've done for Christ in this earth. Now, that's the way I know the rapture takes place right here because over there, nobody's going to have crowns of gold. We don't have, uh, get our crowns until we go through the judgment seat of Christ. And here are they. 24 elders. They're not angels. The Bible says they're dressed in white. The Bible says they have crowns upon their head, which means that they've already been through the judgment seat of Christ. And, they, and, 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 and here's what happened. We see there's a select multitude of those people in heaven. Will you be in heaven? I trust that would be your testimony because in heaven, after the judgment seat of Christ, you'll be joining these Elders, I wonder if the rapture were to take place before I finish this sermon. And we were, we're all more or less dressed the same today. You have Bibles in your laps. We're looking, uh, we're looking uh, uh, very similar to each other. Uh, we like each other. We hugged each other's necks and we shook hands with each other or gave a fist pump to each other. You're here and you, you clapped because you enjoyed the choir singing and you said amen when the teenagers sang. Hey, we're almost all alike. But my friend, there's a vast dipper, difference that separates people, even in this auditorium. There are those who are saved. There are those, what the Bible says, who are lost. There are those who are ready to meet Jesus. 
And there are those who are not ready to meet Jesus. And it may be well that at the rapture, the person seated next to you will not be there in that rapture. Two will be sitting in church. One taken and the other left. This is only a select multitude that will go in the rapture. Well, let's move on quickly here this morning. We've talked about the proclamation. It's going to happen. The participants are those who are saved. But I want you to notice the rapture's prediction. The rapture's prediction. The million-dollar question this morning is when will the rapture take place? We all want to know that. Every one of us want to know. So let's predict this morning when the rapture will take place. Go back to verse number 1. Look at it. After this I looked up. Behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was uh, as it were a trumpet. Now remember that trumpet sound? Uh, Talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. No if, ands, and buts about it. It must happen. The rapture must happen. In verse number 2, the Bible says, And immediately, you mark in your Bibles, I'd underline that word, or I'd put that in my notes, that word immediately. And immediately, immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat upon the throne. When did this happen to John? It happened to John suddenly, immediately. He was not expecting it. There he is. He's been looking at the churches. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3. He's been writing about the church age. He identifies seven churches and seven time periods that would take place after Jesus was resurrected. And these literal seven churches that he was writing about. And suddenly, just like that when he finishes that last verse of of chapter 3, immediately he is caught up into heaven. God was allowing him to see and peer into the future. Now that's what's going to happen to you. We're now living in the church age. But we're going to find out beginning with chapter 4 on. And please don't miss this. If you, if you, you say, I struggle with whether the rapture is for us or not, I'm going to prove it right now. The rest of the book, the word church drops out. In chapters 2 and 3 we hear the word, the church, the church. The church, the church, over and over and over again. The church. But after this, the word church is not mentioned again. It's very important for us to understand that. Because we leave the age of grace. We leave the church age. And immediately when that trumpet sounds, we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now we're talking about uh, the when. When is Jesus going to do this? I don't know. And you don't know. Nobody knows. Only God himself knows. So why is it a sacred mystery? It's a time known to God alone, and we cannot predict the timing of its initiation. The Bible, Jesus even says, but but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. The point, the coming of Jesus, listen to me, is always near. It's always near. We're not waiting for some fulfillment of prophecy. Now, that may be interesting. If we see things, as I mentioned, in the troublesome Middle East, we can see all kinds of things that seem to indicate that the coming of Jesus is near. By the way, as a pastor, I believe the coming of Jesus is near. And the day I don't believe that, I should get fired. Because the Bible says the coming of Jesus is near. Let's remember that 1,000 years in in the time span of God is as what? One day. So... 
we're only in two days since Jesus resurrected. It's only been two days for God. Now, he's coming back. But we need to be ready. But listen carefully. No sign proves that Jesus is coming soon. And no lack of signs prove that he's not coming soon. I remind you that the Apostle Paul was expecting Jesus Christ in his own lifetime. Was Paul wrong? Absolutely not. He lived his life as if Jesus could come back at any moment. And every Christian is right to be expecting Christ in his lifetime. And if there has to be certain signs to be fulfilled before Jesus can come, that takes away his imminence. That takes away the expectancy. But every Christian from the time of his ascension till this time should be living with that at any moment prediction mentality that Jesus Christ may come. He could come today. Now, I will say this. There is not a single prophecy in all of the word of God that you could say needs to be fulfilled that's holding back Jesus. Because we now know that the last major thing that needs to be done is the rebuilding of the temple. And they already say that it can be easily rebuilt within three and a half years. And the temple has to be rebuilt by the middle part of the tribulation. So we know this. There is no single prophecy that must be fulfilled to prevent Jesus from coming back. Now let me give you a scripture that proves this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51, I mentioned it a moment ago. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. That word moment is the word that we get our word Adam from. It's the smallest indivisible period of time known uh, to them. The Bible even refers refers to it as in the twinkling of an eye. And I heard a while back that the average individual blinks or twinkles his eye some 20,000 times a day. Now, I'm always suspicious of these statistics because I would like to know the person who sat there and counted it. But the Bible says this. Jesus is coming in a moment in an atomic period of time in the twinkling of an eye and the Lord Jesus is going to come and take us into the Uh, into the heavens. That's pretty fast. So before you could blink your eye one time, we'll be gone. Well, pastor, what about the signs? Do the signs tell us that Jesus is coming? I predict that the rapture is going to take place. Jesus is coming for his church before he comes back in power and great glory to rule and reign on this earth. Oh, we can see the rapture proclaimed. It is going to happen. The rapture's participants are those who know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And the rapture's prediction as far as his timing, it could be at any moment. We don't know if it's today, 10 years, or 100 years. But I believe it's soon. Finally this morning, notice the rapture's purpose. What is the purpose? If you've heard nothing yet this morning, that's okay. You've got to hear this last point. It's the most important. What in the world is the purpose of the rapture? If you understand this, it'll alter how you live. It'll also help explain a lot in the Word of God. What is the purpose of the rapture? Why not just wait until there's a general resurrection? Go back to chapter 4. Look with me, beginning in verse number 2 in our text. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. One sat on that throne. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. I actually ask a jeweler how you say that. Is it sardine 
sardine. One jeweler told me there's no such thing as a sardine stone. And another jeweler said it's sardine. So however you want to say it, and I'm sure there's somebody who will correct me afterwards, it's fine. I've never seen a sardine stone. So I don't know what it is if I went to a jeweler and asked today. But anyway, notice this. This is significant. There was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were 24 seats. And upon those seats I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now listen, verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. There were seven lamps of a fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we're not going to get a time. You can look at the time. We're not going to be able to fully expound on verse number 5. But let me tell you uh, uh, what the purpose of the rapture is. Our Lord is coming back to receive his bride unto himself. The purpose of the rapture is for the Lord to receive his bride to himself. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what? I will come again and receive you unto myself. What a day that's going to be. What a day it's going to be when the Lord Jesus receives those who come uh, to him. And my first thrill in heaven is going to be able to see my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you say that? Your first thrill of heaven is to see the one who gave his life for you. I'm going to see him in his sovereign majesty. I'm going to see the Lord Jesus sitting upon that throne. No wonder we're able to sing and our choir is able to sing that that wonderful song. Our Lord reigns. Our Lord does reign. And so one of the purposes for the rapture is for Jesus to receive his bride. Another purpose of the rapture, and don't miss this. This is is why you came today. He's coming to rescue us. He's coming to rescue us. This is amazing. In verse number 3, that's the rainbow found about the throne. The word rainbow in the Greek word that we get our word iris from, it's like a halo. All around this throne is a rainbow. This beautiful emerald rainbow round about the throne speaks of God's covenant telling us that we've been caught up to meet the Lord for us. There's a rescue. And here's the significance. The storm is over. What is that storm? This life that we live in. Sin. The perversions of this world. The storm is over. But down on earth, they're getting ready for an even bigger storm. The largest storm this world has ever seen since the days of Noah. In heaven, there's a rainbow. Down on earth, there's a storm brewing. That's what verse number 5 talks about. And that storm is something called the Great Tribulation. A period of time of some seven years. And my friend, I want to encourage you. The church is not going through the tribulation. The church, the bride of Christ, is removed before the tribulation. So what is the purpose of the rapture? Is that we can be received unto Christ and rescued from the great tribulation. Now, as I close this message, let me help encourage you. If we lived 400 years before Jesus was born, we heard by word of mouth, Messiah is coming. 
He's going to be born of a virgin in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah the prophets, everywhere he's going, he's speaking about the Messiah coming. He's going to be born of a virgin. We hear from the prophets that he's going to be born in a lowly stable. We hear that's all the world needed to know at that point. Messiah is coming. And if you believe in Messiah, it's going to be amazing. Did the 12 closest people to Jesus leave him? They sure did. At his trial, they didn't know who he was. He died. They went back to their lives. It would be easy for us to sit here and say, well, Jesus is coming back. I don't believe in that rapture stuff. But you know what? We have it recorded in the Word of God. And it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Jesus is coming back to take his church out of, out of this world before the great tribulation. Let's never live with fear in our future. Let me remind you of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Bible says, For they themselves show us of what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. Now watch this. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he hath raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath of the cross. I'm not waiting for the great tribulation, my friend. I'm not going to be here. I'm waiting for Jesus. And I'm waiting specifically for the trumpet. And when that trumpet sounds, I'm not going to be on this earth anymore. Oh, we love reunions. There's going to be a grand reunion one day. Um, who do you look forward to seeing other than Jesus? I bet every one of us could give a long list of names of people we can't wait to see, moms and dads and grandparents, and for some of you, children, best friends, spouses. But I'm here to tell you that Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4 speaks of 24 elders, and it represents all of those of us who will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And remember 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 17, For we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. And here's the significance. Would you look in, in, in this verse? There's three words here. You say, I don't believe in the rapture. Uh, be caught up together with them. What are those next three words? In the clouds. The second coming of Jesus, when he makes his triumphal entry to earth, he comes to the earth. If the rapture were not true, why would we, have to be, why would we meet Jesus in the air? I'm here to tell you, become a member of the church by believing Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. What a day that's going to be. What does that mean to you and me? What does that mean to, uh, uh, to all of those who are listening? Listen carefully. Don't let this get by you. We should learn of his coming. You cannot afford to be ignorant concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ in Bible prophecy. That's why I'm preaching this series of messages. And that's why there's such intrigue about prophecy. Number two, we should live for his coming. The proof that you believe what I'm saying is not whether you get it down into your notebook there or your notepad or whatever, wherever you're taking notes or you get it into your head. The proof is, does it get into your life? Does it change your life? Number three, we should look for his coming. He is coming back. You should expect him to come. You should live your life as, he, as you expect him to come. You're not wrong to expect him to come. The Bible says he may come at any moment. Number four, we should long for his coming. You should desire the Lord Jesus Christ. The last prayer in the Bible is for Jesus to come again. 
There are two types of people here this morning. Those who are saved, that means that you've believed on Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Then there are those who are lost. You've heard the message before, and you've chosen not to believe it. My friend, if this morning's message can't persuade you, I don't know what will. Because here's what I do know. We're going to get into the Great Tribulation, and we're going to spend some time preaching about the Great Tribulation. And it's intriguing, and it's fascinating what's going to happen. But my friend, we're not going to be here. But if you do not know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you may very well live through the Tribulation, never having the opportunity to trust Christ again. And so I beg you this morning, you may be busy with many things. You may be distracted this morning with life, but you cannot be distracted with your